experience. Like I told Whit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm moron. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Virginia Tech is ranked in basketball. Robbie, I am pumped. Give us a cheers. Well, I got a, I got a cheers to the basketball program. I mean, what a what a game. We all were texting about it as it was happening, and I have to say, it's been a little while in. Um, in a game where I was starting to get a little sweaty, like the sweaty palms <laughs> and, and wondering how it was going to go. And it was delivered by the basketball team, <laughs> yeah. not yeah. not the football team. So a huge hat tip to those guys, Mike Young, all the players, awesome game, big win early in the season. And hopefully they can use that and really as a springboard to what could be a, a pretty good season for Virginia Tech basketball. Cheers. Yeah, I uh, I tweeted the other day. They're three and zero. They're ranked number sixteen in the country, and we haven't even seen our best shooter play a minute for the team yet. And Jalen Cohn, yeah, and he's supposedly good to go for this Thursday against VMI. Without without a player like that out of the game, everybody else really stepped up. It's it's pretty awesome to to see what they did on the on the court. But we'll get into some more of the details. But getting him back is obviously a huge boost for for this program and and what they can potentially do this year. Definitely. Let's hop into the news and notes. The Clemson game got scheduled for seven thirty p.m. on ABC this Saturday night. I think it's safe to say this is the one time when most of Hokie Nation would have preferred to not have the national TV spotlight. <laughs> yeah, a little bit painful. I think everybody's a little bit afraid of what uh, what could happen here. So I would uh, fully agree with that sentiment. Couldn't we just get a nooner? I mean, <laughs> like we just we just want to take our whooping in peace. All right, I don't need Herb Street <laughs> calling the game when uh, it could get ugly early. Um, but hey, whatever. We'll see if we can hang with them. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Fuente was. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure it made him a little uneasy seeing that come out. <laughs> yeah, especially since you know Herb Street is not going to really hold any punches because he actually cares about the Virginia Tech program a lot. So if he has some things and it's not going well and he has some feelings about where the program's at, I think those are probably going to come out on the broadcast. And it's him and Chris Fowler and Maria Taylor, correct? Yes. We know how much Chris Fowler always talks about his love for Virginia Tech and how Frank and the program helped game day get off the ground and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they, uh, they were on that plane last year. When we saw after the Duke game, you know, Kirk mouthed the words, it's so, so bad. bad. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. After a few cocktails, obviously. They yeah, they, yeah. they definitely, I would love to be on that plane with those guys just to make <laughs> yeah, it I because too. they just finished up like a huge long set of college football. Like they're probably up first thing in the morning, then they're taking a plane back home. And you know, you know they're bringing out the whiskey and just like kind of hanging out and having drinks. So uh, that that would be the you know ideal situation, except when they're talking about the Virginia Tech program. Yeah, for for sure. The other news we had was Quincy Patterson is transferring. That came on the heels of Daryl Simmons and Elijah Bowick also announcing they were entering the transfer portal. And Fuente, his comments afterwards were. Not many people would expect to have those three guys uh, throughout the season. We knew we weren't going to keep all three of them. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's pretty much what he said. And he said, that's just unrealistic. 
And yeah, I, there's some truth to that, but you're also the guy that brought in Braxton Burmeister, who now I guess is forcing Quincy out and Quincy's younger. And I, I don't know. It, it just seems like an odd thing to say, like, Hey, we were never going to keep all those guys. Isn't the whole plan to keep as many guys as you can. <laughs> yeah. That, that, so I guess that was the reason that you were recruiting them uh, is that you wanted to have them be with the program. So he's not doing himself any favors right now at this point with the way that the words are coming out of his mouth and what he's actually saying and how people are interpreting it. I get, I get what the underlying tone was of it and what he mm-hmm. was kind of getting to. That they're all very talented. And, yeah. And yes, we're going to, poke holes right now because he's not having a good stretch of games but it was a little bit of an odd comment and i get it on the surface like you said like three really talented guys they all want to play it's understandable that you might lose one especially when around the country we see a lot of quarterback movement nevertheless i i don't know i don't think he needed to say like we were never going to keep all three i feel like that was a weird thing to say yeah i mean yeah, a lot of other programs pride themselves on keeping people, you know, in the program, right? That's what they're touting is that's a guy that could probably go anywhere in the country and play, but he's not. He's playing for us because he wants to be here. Instead, we're saying the opposite. <laughs> we're saying that's a guy that's really talented that can go play elsewhere in the country and we couldn't keep him. Is yeah. to really parse words, that's actually what we're articulating as opposed to some other programs. And it's hard to blame Quincy, and I don't blame him whatsoever. No. And I honestly will root for him every time he steps on the field for any team. I, I really will. I, I really admire that kid and, and what he did for us. I mean, he gave us the UNC six overtime victory. He gave us that game at Notre Dame, which was amazing. He came in in the NC State game and played really well when we needed them to. And so I I love Quincy Patterson. I hope he does great things. And from the larger picture... He's looking around saying, well, Hendon's really not getting any better. I'm not sure I'm going to get any better under this coach. I'm not sure how much I've progressed to this point. And so, yeah, I should go somewhere where I know they'll develop me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's it's tough. And, you know, for once, I think the Twittersphere and message boards and everybody that is very vocal about this program were all aligned and hoping the best because Quincy Patterson was like a fan favorite. Like everybody loved Patterson for what he did for the program, the way that he talked about, you know, his comfort level in not necessarily getting as many reps and didn't make any stink about it, anything along those lines. Yep. The line he came in because he wanted to be a part of the engineering program, which I think speaks a lot to Virginia Tech and a lot of the alumni that we have and the programs that we have academically. So I think people really like and respect him and the way he's gone about his business and hope the best for him moving forward. Absolutely. The other guys that left, uh, Bowick and Simmons, they were not getting on the field. Bowick was still a pretty young player, uh, similar to Jacoby Pickney, who we lost last year. and <clears throat> Just two more receivers that have been recruited out of high school by Fuente that have transferred. I think that's seven out of ten that were offered scholarships by the Fuente regime have transferred. Uh, The 11th would be Caleb Smith, but he wasn't offered a scholarship out of high school. He was a walk-on who, you know, got on the field basically out of necessity. I'm not trying to knock Caleb Smith, but like when you have that many guys leaving, someone has to play. And so our wide receiver recruiting, development, utilization, it has been an, an abject disaster. So, um, I guess we can move on to the next topic. Burmeister is healthy after breaking three toes in practice. That's something we didn't know about to this week when Fuente mentioned it. Um, he said he smashed him real good, but he's better now. And I guess that's good considering Fuente, uh, considering Quincy is leaving. It's good that Burmeister is healthy. <laughs> yes. It, it's always good to have a backup. Uh, I've heard that from time to time to have a backup quarterback is a, is a good thing. So, yeah, I didn't know. Did did they did he say when it happened that he got banged up and and when? No, I and I didn't. I honestly didn't do enough research to try and figure it out because right. I just 
I'm kind of, kind of losing interest a little bit right now. Um, but yeah, he's back and that's good. Some good news. Hardywood and VT are making a beer and that is right up our alley. Yes. So that, <laughs> they're that making is a-, a hell's lager called the fighting Hokies lager. And it's coming in stores pretty soon. In fact, I was texting with Arash earlier. He said they could have it in the next two weeks. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just such a great idea. I never paid that much attention to it because we're so far away from Virginia Tech, so we don't get to visit the campus as often. But they do, you know, the the beer, not beer festivals, but they do like the outings like on campus and stuff like that where they have everybody come back. Uh, Hardywood is obviously right in the center in Richmond of the, you know, the recruiting area, you know, what's close to, to Blacksburg. It's not too far from there. It's come what a couple hours. Uh, it's, it's a really good move on their part. Hardywood is a great brewery and makes amazing beer. And it's another way to bring in, I really like the announcement, bring in money for, you know, scholarships for academia for a lot of different reasons. It's just a really smart, business idea i'm not sure i fully understood like what the angle was like you just mentioned scholarship money and stuff like that Hmm. i knew part of it was as an educational thing like we are gonna it's part of some of our classes i think the article was very long (laughs) yeah i think it's just the kickback to the university that's going to help help virginia tech so it's going to be a revenue source back in they're going to get their their piece of it so um in, who knows? It's it's probably in the grand scheme of everything that Virginia Tech is bringing in, not that big, but it, it's a really cool idea and it's a good marketing idea as well. If it's yeah, it's great marketing for the university. And the one thing I said is, now you got to sell that in the stadium, then you'll really have something. <laughs> That's right. And uh, yes, yes, we'll, well, we'll have it up in the club seat. So well. we're gonna need as many revenue streams as possible next year so get that Hokies get that fighting Hokies lager available in lane and uh and we'll be cooking I also wanted to bring up a couple different media things Brian Marcolini's article on the key play called asking the hard questions it kind of detailed where we were and how we got to where we are with Fuente and how Fuente said he wanted to be the best developmental program in the country when he was hired and that just makes me lol <laughs> yeah it was there, there's so many great first of all he is an amazing writer i think we can all the way that he can take a topic and really expound on it but make it not balanced but really just kind of hit home in what the thought process is it was for well the done, fan yeah. basis and this is probably one of his best written pieces that i've ever read it was um it was phenomenal and it, it it's on a tough subject and I think that's that's a sign of somebody that really understands and can articulate their thoughts in a way that's not just spewing, you know, hatred just because you're mad or frustrated mm-hmm. or anything like that, but really articulate your points. So it was very well done. If you haven't read it, I highly suggest it. I, I read it early early this morning and it, it's it's excellent. Yeah, it basically took the last like two and a half years of my angry tweets. And put them into a beautifully well-written article. <laughs> I'd say that's a good way to put <laughs> that was it. Essentially, what he did, um, because it, it echoed my sentiments exactly, like it's so, so much so. And then we had the Brendan Hill and D'Angelo Hall conversation, which was pretty much a D'Angelo Hall uh, on a soapbox about Shane Beamer. That's that's pretty much what it was. I mean, D'Angelo had tweeted out last week about. Shane should have a chance at being the head coach at Virginia Tech. I can't remember the exact wording of the tweet, but that was more or less what it said. And then he goes on this YouTube video that Brendan Hill, who people who are on Twitter know who Brendan Hill is, former defensive back. He tweets a lot about the program. And uh, D'Angelo basically used it as a platform, this YouTube, to to pitch Shane Beamer to Virginia Tech, to wit, to whoever would listen. And he even said... Like word for word, I believe with every fiber of my body, he's the right guy for VT. Yeah, it was, it was a couple different things there. So Brendan, you know, you and I have tweeted back and forth with Brendan before, and he he is 
very vocal about his thoughts. And I think some people would think that we are very vocal about our thoughts. So I, I totally respect it. And sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't, but I thought it was, it was great to get D hall on there and really more than anything else. It just demonstrated that former players really care about the program and they want it to be in a good place. They, they don't, they haven't moved on from the program. And as much as we've had these conversations before about how inclusive we are with players coming back and visiting and all those sorts of things, there's still a lot of guys out there that care a lot and are using platforms that they can to reach the fan base, to make their thoughts heard before, you know, I thought he was extremely articulate in his thoughts. I thought he was very methodical in the way that he approached it. It it was, it was a very well done interview from, from my opinion and very eye opening to see that he was willing to stand behind Shane that confidently talk about, yeah, if you're going to talk about players that went on to the NFL and had a ton of success, I mean, he's in the top four ever for Virginia Tech. It's like Bruce Smith, Michael Vick, yeah. Cam Chancellor, and D'Angelo Hall. Yeah, I mean, those, those are, those are yeah. the, pretty much. I'm, I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. Uh, you know, obviously Kevin Jones had a good NFL career, and there, there's lots of Hokies that had had great NFL. Yeah, careers, Wilson would have, except for the injury. I mean, there's other people, but those are the four that really, you know, saw it all the way through, and and really. And we're pro bowlers yeah. and, you know, big time NFL players. And for him to say, I'm willing to make a pledge if Shane is the guy, like that's, that's kind of, kind of serious stuff. Um, my thoughts on Shane Beamer, I'm not going to give them right now. I'm a little mixed. And I think a lot of Hokie Nation is mixed. I think some people would be all for it, but I think there is the, I, and this isn't necessarily my thought, but the fear is that he comes back and it's a flop, and then you've damaged the Beamer legacy at Virginia Tech. I, I think that's that's hanging out there, among other things. Is he ready? Blah, blah, blah. And we can get into that at the end of the episode, but it, w- it was interesting. It certainly was to have a guy like D. Hall, uh, you know, pitching a coach that hard. And it seems like Shane is going to be the guy at South Carolina. It's really starting to lean that way. Yeah. I, I, yes, I, there's a lot of conviction coming from national writers that he is up there if not the guy at this point from recruiting from where he recruits from where he would be doing well and i have some thoughts about him on virginia tech like you said i'll just hold them till the end and then we can kind of go through it but i thought d hall brought up a few points that alleviated some concerns but i think the one that you just mentioned didn't necessarily get addressed during his commentary that i think is really interesting All right, let's do the basketball recap. We played Radford in the middle of the week last week, and it took a little bit to knock off the rust in that game. We shot 58% from three in the second half, though. And so by the end of the game, we had a nice lead. Aluma led the way with 19 points. Uh, Naheem Aline, Kator, they both finished with double digits. And the freshman, Bamasile, he had seven rebounds, and Radford had five assists. It was a fine game. And I think what really stood out to me in that first game was just Aluma and his post presence and and how good he is. Yeah, he's in. Yes, we'll get into some of the other games, but he and it's improved. I think I didn't watch the Radford game. You did, but even what I saw in the last two games is he is extremely talented in the paint. We have a big body up there that knows how to get people off his body, but then and make shots that are contested, but make them look pretty seamless and, and effortless, quite honestly, in the paint. It's 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 really great to see. So the Villanova game, that's that was the big game, and that's what Robbie alluded to at the top. Just a fantastic basketball game from start to finish, no matter which team you were rooting for. Both teams were playing high-quality defense in the first half, but they were still able to hit some big shots, and we were tied 29-all at the half. Villanova started to pull away in the second half. I texted you. I was like, this thing's starting to go the way that we feared it would go. And they were up by as much as a dozen before we crawled back into it. Aline hit some big shots. Couture made two cold-blooded free throws towards the end of regulation. And Aluma put up the go-ahead basket with 1.2 seconds left. And that's when 
the mother of all disasters struck. Aluma makes the free throw by mistake. He was supposed to miss it and just let the clock tick away. And then on the inbound pass, we plowed right into the guy screening that pass. Yeah. And it was an offensive foul. Nova gets two shots. Of course, they knock them both down, and the game is tied, and we have to go to overtime. And I, and this is where you're talking about your palms getting sweaty. I mean, us going to overtime with the number three team in the country, none of us were feeling good about that. No, that's usually where things getting usually in these types of games if you are able to keep it close and then it gets tied up you usually see the favorite team and a really good team like villanova just kind of pull away and that's mm-hmm. where it was fun while it lasted kind of uh kind of thing but that foul on the baseline listen you're, you're the basketball guy but that's so insane that it's just I don't know how you're supposed to, what are you supposed to do as a defender there to stay in front of people and you're you're pretty much blindsided. I mean, it was like, it's basically like a blind pick that you just like caused on like somebody that they don't have no defense against. I, I was just, and then the, the free throw right before that where he accidentally made it was so funny <laughs> because the announcers said exactly what they said afterwards, which is you get so used to making every shot it actually becomes hard not to like make the shot. It it becomes uncomfortable to try and brick one. And what was interesting about that moment and that foul was that Mike Young took all the blame. He said after the game, I failed at the end of regulation to educate my players on what they're going to do. And he said that was one of the oldest tricks in the book. And it's funny he said that because despite being this podcast, quote unquote, basketball guy, I really had not seen that. Like, I mean, I was texting with Mike Drake, the big Kentucky fan who we had on the podcast a couple years ago. And he's like, this happened to us like way back when, and it doesn't happen often, but it's a crafty play by the other team. And Mike Young said it was on him because he should have told his team about it to warn them. If the ball goes in, look for the screener and um, whatever we get into overtime and it looked like we were the number three team because we basically blew them away. And we won 81 to 73. Um, it was never really close in overtime. Yep. Never really had to sweat it out. And I was freaking pumped because you're right. When you go to overtime with a team that good, you know you're going to lose. That That's the feeling is that you can't outlast that team for an additional five minutes. And we went toe-to-toe with a fantastic team, a team that's won two of the last four national championships and beat them in 45 minutes. It was as impressive a win as Tech has ever had, honestly, in basketball. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think we joked around for the first half, the the entire time the announcers only spent, even when we were playing well, the announcers were just talking about Villanova. And it continued until probably a little bit early maybe five seven and a half minutes into the, the second and all of a sudden the announcers were like oh like i guess we have to talk about virginia tech a little bit because <laughs> this this might actually happen yeah well let's just talk about the south florida quick and then we'll give our overall thoughts on the season uh we pretty much dominated that game it was for 42 of our 76 points were in the paint we shot 54 percent for the game and that was with going only five of 16 from three. So from two point range, we were just knocking down almost every shot. We had five players in double figures and Radford led the way with 21 points. Yep. Uh, he is, I love watching Radford. Play. He's so fun to watch. He's just such a dynamic player. He's and so smart with the ball. And I, I couldn't agree more. He's, he's awesome to watch uh, out on, out on the court. The biggest difference with this team than we've seen in the past, and you were texting me about it, was the rebounding. Yes. And it, maybe it's because we have more than one guy that's over six foot eight. Yeah. It, 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 listen, I can't pick up on many things, but I can pick up on how bad our rebounding has been for a long time at this point. And during that Villanova game, it was just, we were all over the boards. Just the rebounding was a whole different animal, boxing people out getting in position and really a lot of those weren't even contested rebounds. So it was just really good play on, on the behalf of the team and really creating some space and then going up. And 
there was not just one, there was one or two or three times, three Hokies that could actually get the ball on some of those rebounds because they were, they were playing so well on, on the boards. Yeah. Aluma is a very impressive player, not just rebounding, but his paint scoring, like you said, it makes, he makes it look effortless. Just hit that little hook that he has real big man with real big man moves. And I just love having him on the team. I didn't expect him to be this good coming out of Wofford. I just, I just didn't. And maybe a year of ACC practice really helped improve his game, but KV Aluma is awesome. Aline, I think wasn't Naheem the guy that Mike Young was like, he had to drive like 80 miles to go get a hoop so he could shoot during the pandemic. I think that's and right. And the shot is looking good right now. It's okay. I should rephrase that. The shot never looks good. He has a very funny shot. His hand like ends up in his face and his shoulder comes all the way in front of his body every time he shoots the ball, but it goes in. Yeah. And so in that respect, it looks very good. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't couldn't say more about the team. We're only three games in and we can get to kind of the broader thoughts on it, but extremely impressive. And it, we all were hoping to see a huge step forward in this program, given the depth and the talent that we have, even when missing one of our best shooters but I really didn't expect them to come out with this kind of firepower. And it, it just shows that they really have bought into what Mike Young wants to do with this program. And they're playing smart basketball. They're moving the ball around very, very quickly, but not being sloppy with it. It's, it's impressive. The defense BD is an animal on, on the D side. And I know he's looking beefier than ever, man. He, he looks like a grown man out there now. That's right. And he, a couple times he got a little bit aggressive, but I think that's what you got to do against a team like Villanova. You got to take your chances, and it it paid off more so, more times than it did not. Yep, all the transfers are making an impact early. Aluma, Diara, Mutz, and Pemsel. Diara is super athletic. Uh, he still seems a little bit tentative. Most of his mistakes did seem due to confidence or comfort, yeah. mental, whatever you want to call it. And I think over time, those will be limited. He's over five from three. He needs to get more confident in that shot, but he's good around the rim and he can definitely drive and play some defense. Uh, the best starting five, this is interesting because we've done like, I think three different lineups in all three different games for, yep. for starters. BD's got to be out there. Yep. Radford, Naheem Aline, and Aluma. And then, so their last question is, do you want to go with, Couture, Diara, or Mutz. And I think that will be dictated by the matchup. When we were going up against Villanova, they started Mutz because I think they wanted more size. Yep. Yeah, and Couture is obviously better on the outside, and, and his shooting is obviously a, a big benefit to the team. But So I, I think it's going to be matchup-driven, like you said. And so far, it's it's paid off. I, I do like seeing Couture out there that has a little bit more range on the on the outside. But I love Couture. Yeah, I think he's a, a really good player. But Mutz is is great. He's got more size. It, it it's nice to have a little bit of versatility in the way that we can line up for different different games and who we're going yeah. up against, which is not really something that we had before. It was kind of, we want these five guys no matter what out on the court. And now I think we're going to have some more versatility and even more with um, with uh, a player coming back that's arguably, and, and we'll see what happens, but you know our best shooter, which will just be even more versatility in the program. Yeah, with Cone coming back and Ojiako on the mend, we are the deepest Hokies basketball team in probably 20 years. I mean, you could go back to the Greenbird days when we made the tournament uh, in 06-07. I, I can't remember how quite deep that team was, but after that, we have struggled with injuries and transfers and et cetera, et cetera, ever since. And so I'm convinced, at least since that 06-07 season, this is the deepest team we've had. And this, the, the depth is not just at guard. It's not just at forward. It's across the board. Yeah. And that's what really makes the difference. Let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor before we get into Clemson. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. I mentioned the Hokies Lager earlier in the show, and like I said, Arash did confirm they're hoping to get that, maybe one of the first stores in the area to get it. And that's all the more reason you need to shop at these two places. Dominion is right in Falls Church. Beautiful setup, indoor and outdoor. It's getting a little colder, so if you want to do your curbside pickup, they can take care of you. 
Same thing up at Downtown Crown. It's a beautiful setup if you want to go and have a beer, wear your mask. But if you're at the bar, maybe you can do some sips of beer, take off that mask, and relax a little bit. Uh, they also do curbside pickup, online ordering on their website. Just Google either one. You'll, it'll come right up. And uh, in terms of what you can get there, the selection is absolutely unmatched. Robbie can vouch for it. And they have the employees that know how to tell you what would best suit your desires. Yeah. And, and I mean, like the customer service you get at a place like that is better than any other beer store. Yeah, you can go to other beer stores and sometimes they'll you tell them what they want and they'll give you... They'll give seven people that say they want an IPA, the same IPA, because they only have like one go-to. But if you tell them what your flavor profile is, what you kind of want, then they'll point you to whatever the best beers that they have in stock are. It's um, it's it's honestly awesome to go in there as you and I are big beer guys. So it's fun to go into a place like that and be able to say, hey, I'm looking for something along these lines. And you can ask them questions about the beer and whether or not you think you would like it. And they'll give you the positives and negatives based on what you typically drink. So it's uh, yeah. it's great. I'm the guy in the beer store who's like talking to the attendant like way too much. I'm like, have you had this one? Have you tried this one? I, I'm I've oh this one's really good. And they're like, I can tell like the girl is getting really annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I love Downtown Crown and Dominion because you'll never get that face from those guys. They'll talk beer with you all day. Yep. Make sure to follow them on Instagram. That's where you'll always learn about the newest stuff they're getting and and you know the whole deal with them. Robbie, right now, I want to know what you're drinking. I'm drinking uh, a LaCroix, uh, berry-flavored, <laughs> naturally essenced, 0.0 alcohol. It also has zero sodium and zero sweetener and zero calories. Uh, what, what, what are you, what's going on over there? Are you uh, yeah. feeling under the weather? Yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking a, a night off from, uh, from the booze tonight, so apologies okay. to everybody. But um, I, Well, I you, did it last week. You did it last week, week so, so yeah, you got to make up for it with uh, your beer selections. But tonight it'll be this and then a little bit of water. And if, if I'm feeling really saucy, I'll go downstairs and grab one of my non-alcoholics and, and, and bring it back out. But unfortunately, they're ones I've already previewed on the podcast before. I gotcha. Well, I'm having the Celebration by Sierra Nevada. This is a seasonal beer. comes out every year, at least for the last, I want to say, five years. And every year, it's a little bit different. And Beer Control on Twitter was talking about this beer and how this year's batch was pretty excellent. So... When I was at the store earlier this week, I had to grab it. They call it a fresh hop IPA, and that's actually a perfect description because when you sip it, there is that hop bite, but it does have like a certain freshness to it. And I'm not going to go as far as like the piney flavor that some of the spruce tip beers that I like <laughs> have come up with, but uh, it's it's kind of like that. There's like a little bit of earthiness to it, and it is fresh, man. It is so good, and because it's seasonal, you know that you're getting a little bit of a fresher beer. 6.8% alcohol. It actually says on the back of this bottle, they first brewed it in the winter of 1981. Wow. So not five, not five years, but I don't remember seeing it maybe on the East Coast other than more recently, but that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. It must have been like, well, I, I, I don't even know if the brewery is probably, that had to be like right <laughs> towards like the start of, uh, of Sierra. Oh, so it says layered pine and citrus hop aroma. See, I was, I was See, getting there. You there. Go. I was getting there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, malt sweetness to shape this bold wintertime classic. Yeah, that's true. Um, great beer. Sierra Nevada celebration. And I have one more kind of winter-themed beer for later tonight. Well, let's move on to Clemson now. I'm not sure how much time we should really spend on this. We were kind of joking about our notes and how much we normally write down for teams and whether it was worth it to to really write much down about Clemson. Um, a couple weeks ago, I would have thought differently, but uh, nevertheless, I still dove in deep on this team, went through it, and uh, and there's some things to be worried about, and there would be some reason for optimism if we play the way we played against Miami, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if we're going to see that team or not. Yeah, Clemson is 8-1, and one. Their best win was against Miami, 42-17. to And their second best win, kind of tough. It's probably the BC game, which they won by six. And after that, it's like Wake. And it's it's not a great like strength of record, as they like to say. Yeah, I, I would say they obviously have the loss against Notre Dame. None of the other games were really close 
at all. They, there were quite a few blowouts, but uh, some of them were like Syracuse was kind of close. Yeah. But but they don't care about that game. No. And there, there was never any moment where you you thought that they were in jeopardy of having somebody be in contention in any of their games, except for your BC game. They they were down what? 18. Yeah. And look what happened there. So obviously up against the mat and, and just really bounced back and, took that one down so it's yes that was probably the closest obviously the Notre Dame loss other than that there wasn't really anything that you know made you think that this team had a ton of vulnerabilities based on the way that we have been playing yeah and obviously for the Notre Dame game they didn't have Trevor and they were also missing a couple key guys on defense as well they're fourth in the AP poll they're third in the Massey composite third in Sagarin and third in FPI they're a very good team, and honestly, now that Trevor's back and guys like Xavier Thomas and Tyler Davis are healthy, I mean, this is probably the healthiest Clemson's been all year, and that's a little scary. Like, this is, like, the Death Star is fully operational right now. That's that's right. It, Trevor Lawrence is, is back. It, He's still 71% on the year. He has 19 TDs, two interceptions. His QB rating is 179, I believe, right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's decent. Well, you you kind of glossed over that 71% completion. Yes. Like, that is insane. Yeah, well, people were going crazy because last, I think Joe Burrow ended up last season with like a 75%, which was something like that. Insane. Yeah. And Trevor's not following too far behind that. He has another four TDs on the ground. I will say that Travis Etienne, he came out and a lot of people were giving him Heisman hype early on. I'm not going to say he's quote unquote fallen off, but in comparison to what we thought Etienne was going to do this year, it hasn't been all we believed it to be. He has about 700 yards, 12 TDs, which is great for about five yards a carry. He's playing well. I think it's 5.2 yards a carry. He's playing well, but not to the level that we expected coming into the season. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, they lost four starting offensive linemen last year. Yep. And two, they don't have T. Higgins or Justin Ross playing on the outside. Mm-hmm. So he's the sole focus. And his running game has definitely fallen off. And for him, a bad year is 5.2 yards per carry. Yes. The three years prior to this year, on the whole, he had averaged seven and a half. Yep. And so... Yeah, it's bad for him, but it's still very good. And the 12 rush TDs is is great through nine games. But the receiving is where he has actually improved. He's going for 58 yards receiving a game. He's got 511 yards and 40 receptions on the year through the air. Trey Turner only has 504. Yeah. So he's got more yards receiving than Trey Turner, our best receiver. He is expanding his game, getting ready for the NFL. He already proved how good of a runner he is. And he has gotten bigger and stronger every year. He's always been fast. And now he's like legitimate every down back NFL caliber running back. And now he's proving he can catch the ball too. So the offensive line is the reason his average is down, but I don't think you can discount like how, how much different their wide receivers look this year too. Well, that's where I was going to go. And you bring up a great point is the wide receivers are good. And, a lot of programs, many, many programs would take their wide receiving core and and be happy, but they're not as good as they were when they had Justin Ross and they had T Higgins and those guys. It's a, it's a step down. I know they're a little bit younger. Amari Rogers is really good. 800 yards receiving six TDs, but I think ETN's had to pick up a little bit of a slight step back for the wide receiving core in comparison to the talent that they had last year. And it's still extremely good. So we're we're nitpicking here, but mm-hmm. I think ETN has had to add a little bit of dynamic to that uh, wide receiving core that wasn't or isn't there in comparison to the elite elite wide receivers that they've had, and maybe last year or the year before. Yeah, Galloway at tight end, he is having an okay year. They they don't have they just don't have that killer at tight end and they don't have the killer on the outside. They expected to have Justin Ross for this year before he had the weird medical situation yep. that was 
not even having anything to do with COVID or no. anything like that. So Amari Rogers good, Cornell Powell's good, but beyond that, it's they kind of been plugging and playing. And the other thing with Clemson is, and this is especially true on the defense, they are in so many blowouts, and so the stats and the way they add up doesn't make it easy to decipher like who's of true value for this team and and in crunch time who they would need because they're in crunch time so rarely. <laughs> Yeah, that you have basically not bat. You have backups in, uh, you know, pretty yeah. early. They're trying to establish their depth and give people reps, and it spreads the ball around. If you go, if you go through their wide receiving, receiving like the wide receivers' stats, it goes like nine, ten deep on people that have a significant amount of catches uh, on the mm-hmm. season, and that's because they can afford to put people in and give them the reps. As for their O-line, I mentioned how they lost the starters. They're 41st in sacks allowed, so that's not bad. 51st in tackles for loss allowed, and then 80th in yards per rush. So it's it's not the standard that Clemson is used to on the offensive line, uh, but they are improving, and like I said, they're healthier than they've been, and it's still a very good offensive line. It's still Clemson-recruited players, but it— we might have enough better offensive line than them. We really might. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think that would be shocking to say. I, I mean, stats wise, I think our offensive line keeps up with Notre Dame, which I think is the number one offensive line rated, you know, by most people in the in the country, and we're up there in the top four to top five in offensive line. So I, I think that's fair to say. There's not a lot of other positions that we can make that same argument, but that that <laughs> right. is one position that I think we can hold our own on. They lack stars outside of Lawrence and Etienne, but they're still going to score a lot of points on us, I think. Yeah. Um, let's let's flip over to defense. Their defense is, again, maybe not as dominant as years past, but it is still ninth in yards per play. They're fourth in tackles for loss per game, fifth in sacks, tenth in opposing QB rating. So they're pretty balanced. I mean, it's not the Cleveland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence. Uh, and I'm missing, I can't think of the other guy's name on the inside, uh, but it's not quite to that level, but it's a very balanced, very good defense now that they're more healthy. Yeah. I mean, the fall off from arguably one of the best defensive lines that we've seen in the past five years is always going to be significant. <laughs> so it, it, and they had backups that people would have, you know, fawned over uh, on that defensive line. So it, it makes sense it's falling off. But 36 sacks on the year in, in number five in the nation. Uh, Brylon Spector, Dials Murphy, they both have three and a half sacks. And then you have Venables, who it might be a name that you're familiar with if you know <laughs> Virginia or if you know uh, Clemson. And uh, Upsaw, KJ Henry, they all have two and a half sides. So they're creating pressure. It's just not to the dominant level that we were used to seeing. And it's spread out, yeah. like we were saying on offense. Like they're playing tons of different guys in these games. And so no guy is really leading the way with high production numbers. For example, only one player on their team has more than 33 tackles. Yeah. We have six guys on our team with more than 33 tackles. Now, we're on defense a lot more than them, yes. <laughs> but but still, you get the idea. Is they've spread a lot of the production around because of how many backups come in for them in almost every game. Um, their their D line it it hasn't been up to the Clemson standards either for the most part. But like I said, Davis and Thomas back are huge. The freshman Miles Murphy and Brian Breezy. Now Breezy was the number one overall recruit in the country, I think, two years ago or maybe even last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their two freshmen are basically leading the way for them with these other guys getting healed up, and now they're they're basically going to be sought. And KJ Henry, that's the other guy yep. that we were trying to recruit. He's a sophomore now. He was a five star. Uh, it's stacked. I mean, it is stacked. It's a little young, but it is stacked across the line. And I'm I'm fearful. And this is it's just as big a test as Pitt, probably bigger. Uh, on the D-line. Um, if nothing else, it's even. And, and we saw how we struggled to move the football in that pit game. Yeah, it's going to... We're going to have to come out with... The, not necessarily gimmicky plays, but we're going to have to come up with something to actually move the ball efficiently against this team. It cannot just be 
running the ball up the gut and things like that. So it's going it, to, we're going to have to have some versatility in this, whether it's in the past game or whether it's using the slant appropriately, whether we're doing jet sweeps, we're going to have to keep them on their heels a little bit. And that's going to be difficult to do with this elite, elite defense that we're going to be going yeah. up to for the foreseeable future. It is elite in a little bit of a different way, like we've been saying, is is that they don't have – I think they have two guys that are projected to go in the top three rounds of the draft on defense, mm-hmm. and it's Darion Kendrick, their corner, and Xavier Thomas on yeah. the line. So, no, there's no Isaiah Simmons at linebacker. You know, There's not the, the three DBs that are going to all be drafted, Tanner and Muse and so on and so forth. But – it's still extremely solid and has the best defensive coordinator in college football. So uh, they they might lack a little bit of star power on both sides of the ball this year, um, but it's it's still going to be a very stiff challenge. Um, I guess let's just move to our overall thoughts on the game. If we had shown any fight at all versus Pitt, I would give us a slight glimmer of hope to keep it a game into the fourth quarter. But we didn't. And so I have absolutely no clue what to expect. And Lawrence, the way he's playing right now, he has improved year over year. If you look at his quarterback rating, you just look at his throws, the way they go to the sideline. It is so impressive. He is absolutely going to shred us. Yeah, it's not It's it's not going to be fun. Uh, let's just put it that way. I, I don't know, but there may be this team just finds a way to keep it a game for a period of time. But once we get into late middle third quarter, I just don't understand how our talent level right now and the way we're playing and the methodology that we're playing both on the offense and the defensive side of the ball is going to be able to keep up with, with this team. So I think it's, I think it, honestly, the spread looks a little bit light to me at 24. So it's, I could see it not being a fun Saturday for any of us. So you're seeing, where are you seeing 24? Cause I, I kept seeing 21 and a half, 22. Oh, you saw, I think it, it opened at 24 oh, okay, and then maybe okay. it dropped down. So I'm, I'm yeah. pretty certain it started at 24. Gotcha. So what I've been seeing is 21 and a half today. And that is the third smallest spread for a Clemson game this year. The only spreads that were smaller were Notre Dame and Miami. And you'll remember the Miami one was around 14 and a half. And I think Notre Dame was five and a half. And that was without Lawrence, but that's saying something when 21 points is the third smallest for them. I think Pitt was 24. Yeah. You saw what they did to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it's this small. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little confused by it. And I, and I guess, they haven't played very many tough teams. Yeah. And so maybe like this on the road and essentially their schedule is really weak. And so we are the third toughest team on their schedule. Yeah. Or they just think everybody's fighting to make this season something manageable at this point, And that's helpful. I, there's no bad blood, I guess, between Dabo and Fuente is maybe another reason. I I don't know, but it, it seems smaller than I would have anticipated. I would I thought like something around twenty eight was probably the right line for this game. And that's the standard ACC line, essentially, for Clemson is like twenty seven, twenty eight. If they're playing a bad team, thirty plus. But uh, twenty one, it, it's it's on the low side, and that's like so depressing <laughs> to, to say that we're saying a 21 and a half point spread is a low spread yeah. uh, for us going up against an opponent. But that's, that's where we are right now. Like the pit game, if they shut down our run, which I'm fairly confident they can do, they're going to try to make hooker beat us and yeah. beat. They're going to try to make hooker beat them. And I don't know that he's going to be able to. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's really going to be a test for this coaching staff and these players to see if we can actually rectify and rejuvenate the past game, which right yeah. now it's, it's just, it's just not something that we can lean back on and feel comfortable with right now. So we'll, we'll see what happens when the run game is most definitely, you know, Venables is going to do him and him and Bud Foster are cut of the same cloth in the way that they approach things. They they do oh, want to shut things down, make it one dimensional. So 
if you think that they're not going to be trying to shut down the the run game, I think, well, be prepared for a long day. Yeah, back to the spread real quick. Clemson is only three and six against the spread this season. Uh, a lot of that is because they call off the dogs in some games. I'm not sure at this point with the playoff on the line and everything that they're going to be calling off many dogs. But in terms of the over-under, I think it's about 66, 66 and a half. The last five Clemson games have gone over. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. This, this could very well go over as well. I would agree. All right, let's take a beer break before we do our picks and maybe talk a little coaching. I am having the Shinerbach Seasonal Cheers. And I guess it's not Shinerbach. <coughs> Shinerbach is a beer. It's it's Shiner Cheers. Um, and this one's been out for a little while. It's maybe, again, fourth or fifth year. I've seen it. And it's it's a very light, easy-drinking beer with just like a little bit of cherry flavor. And I... I tweeted out a picture of them this weekend saying these things are are delicious and they really are they go down super easy i may have had this on the podcast a year or two ago but every year i at least get a six pack of it because me and my cousins love it like you can you could probably take down like five of these (laughs) easily watching a game no problem they are so easy drinking and the packaging is great it's shiner holiday cheer is the official name I was happy that that Virginia Tech beer was a Hellas lager. Yeah. Because Hellas, that's one of my favorite styles, mm-hmm. and you can really put those things away. Yeah. It's per- <laughs> they, they, um, they thought about it in as soon as we can start tailgating again in a, a very <laughs> smart way because if they put out like a double IPA that they can only, you can only take down two at a tailgate or something along those lines, they went with something that you can, you, you can pound pretty heavily. So it's right. a smart business move. Okay. Let's do these picks real quick. We got Syracuse at Notre Dame. I'm not really sure why I left this one in there. It's a 33 and a half point spread, but Cuse has been doing okay lately. Yeah, I, I will take them to cover that mainly because I feel like uh, Notre Dame is past their big tests. Maybe they let their foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, I had Syracuse in this one as well. BC at UVA. UVA, six and a half point favorites. I, I went and looked at the spread, and then I immediately went to the injury wire to see what was going on. And it looks like Jerkovic is questionable, yeah. and I'm not sure if he's going to play. So I'll take UVA. Because at home, without their starting quarterback, I think they could easily cover that. And I, Vegas, I don't think would put that line out there unless they knew something. Yeah, I I would agree with that. If yeah, Jerkovic is out, that's really been the spark for for that BC team. Um, so I totally agree. GT at NC State, NC's NC State seven and a half point favorites at home. They've been impressive as well. They they squeaked that game out against Liberty. Uh, I'll take them to cover against GT. I don't know. I, 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 GT is so nondescript to me. Yeah. Well, other than Waffle House. So, uh, other than Waffle House, <laughs> I, I'm going to go GT on this game and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it so we, we have something to talk about. But I, 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 I agree with you. NC State and that Liberty game was good. But I think, I think GT's got to get their footing underneath them and they might choose this game to do it. NC State going up to the carrier dome and coming out with the win was impressive i know they they didn't like play particularly well and syracuse had a chance to to tie it or win it at the end uh, and spiked it on the last play of the game um but still going up there you know and winning a game that is a tough thing to do and so i I, if anything i that solidified my nc state love for the season and and that's probably going to go down as our best win of the year when we beat nc state so I'm, I'm hoping they beat Georgia Tech. Miami at Duke. Duke 15 and a half point favorites or 15 and a half point underdogs at home. I'm going to go Miami here. So I, I have to. I, I think I think we're watching the Cutcliffe error just kind of end here slowly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's going to continue. Yeah, you know, I was unsure of what happened in that Georgia Tech Duke game, what was it, last week? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Georgia Tech won 56 yeah. to 33. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll take my Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, um, yeah, that wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah, I, I was toying with the idea of taking Duke, but I, I don't think so. Liberty at Coastal Carolina. I put this on the list because of you know Liberty playing all those ACC schools and Coastal being a very interesting team with a coach that's a hot name right now. Coastal six-point favorites at home. This is really tough. I, I think I'm going to take Coastal, yeah. but I don't feel particularly safe. I feel game. pretty good about taking Coastal. So I, 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 I think they are a really good team. And I know Liberty has shown a lot of fight this year, but I think Coastal is just in in that scheme of those kind of teams that are kind of coming up and, and making a name for themselves. I think they're on a different level. And we got to root on our boy Sam Denmark, right? That's right. Is he, is he the one that went to Coastal? Yeah. Uh, one of the many wide receiver transfers. We do have one on Coastal Carolina. Well, we got an, offense, the last we got an game, offensive lineman from them. So, yeah, it's all. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and we got Hoffman from them, too. Texas A&M at Auburn. SEC game, Auburn, six-point underdogs after getting their teeth kicked in against Alabama. Oh, man. Is this is this the game where Texas A&M screws up or – like or Gus like, Malzahn there, saves his job somehow. Yeah, is he gonna like pull out the magic this week? Like, I I don't know. This is a tough one. I mean, if it was any other coach, I think Jimbo's been in these spots before, so I think I I, I don't think it's gonna be too big for him. I know Auburn's gonna put up a fight here, but A and M's having a really good season, and I would just be surprised if this is the game they choose to shit the bet on. I I, I think that they'll probably pull this one out, but I guess we'll see. And and more than six points. What's interesting about it is normally after the Alabama game, Auburn season's over. Yes. And so we've never seen them respond either to a win or a loss to Bama because for them, in a lot of ways, their season is over now. Yep. I mean, they already played Bama. They lost. They got killed. What are they playing for? And so I'm going to take Texas A&M because they're still in that playoff hunt. Yep. They are. I mean, it's pretty crazy, but yeah. So about coaching and the coaching carousel and everything, we talked about how Shane is, it's looking like he's heading to South Carolina. The big thing that's going on to me is Michigan and Texas are likely to be open this year. It's not confirmed on either one, but it's the wheels are starting to turn on the idea that two huge jobs on the college football landscape could be open. And what that means is someone's coach is getting is getting poached from their team. I think it's actually more likely to happen at Texas, just from what I've heard on podcasts and radio and those sorts of things. Somehow, I don't, I don't get it, but somehow there's a narrative out there that's starting to build a good amount of steam that Michigan's not going to move on from Harbaugh, which I think is cr- really? crazy, but it, it's starting to get some legs behind it that they, you know, they... There, there, there's these programs that define themselves as academia first, and that's what really matters. And they feel like he's done a good job recruiting Michigan guys and you know, those sorts of things. So, and I get that that carries a lot of weight, but it's, I, it, it has not been good there. And but there's, there's some legs behind this thought process that they're going to keep them. Yeah, that would be surprising. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a time for Virginia Tech that you want to enter the coaching carousel when you're going to be competing with potentially a Texas or a Michigan. In terms of the what I want out of a coach, that's a much longer conversation and one we plan on having at some point in the near future, yep. possibly with a guest mm-hmm. as soon as this week. It's something to, to keep your eyes peeled for. Uh, but... There's some good candidates out there, guys that I think would be good fits at Virginia Tech, like Billy Napier, or obviously a Brent Venables would be like the 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 name that you would want at Tech, and Luke Fickle. Like I think anyone that loves Tech would would go for a lot of those names. It's just that are they available? Would they come? Can we pay them? Yep. And so you might have to go a level down to your your Tony Elliott's or your Lance Leipold's or your Will Healy's. I I don't exactly know, but I'm approaching the next couple weeks that we are looking for a coach. And 
and we're we should start evaluating the guys and the type of guys that we want. I'm not so sure that the backlash wouldn't be significant if if we kept Fuente for for another year. I, I think it could be very significant, assuming that we're allowed to have fans in the stand next year and donors and all those sorts of things. I I think it's most people have well, already the, moved past the the Fuente error at this point and in a lot of ways that are not just necessarily one thing or the other. There's there's multiple issues that people have. It's not just, you know, hey, he's And not they keep prepared. rearing their ugly heads because yeah. we just had the Quincy thing. Yep. And we're about to get spanked by Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have UVA, yeah. which could open up a whole different can of worms in terms of the, the fans being pissed yet again. So, yeah, I think, I think Witt has probably made some calls. Uh, I would almost have to believe he's reached out to Cincinnati and Luke Fickle because that's where he used to work. Yeah. And I would have to believe that he has reached out and tested the waters with Shane. I would almost, I'd be shocked if he hadn't had a conversation, whether or not it would happen. Yeah. And I, I my concern, and we'll bring it full circle to what you were talking about earlier in the D hall interview is the, I think, I think what didn't get addressed during that interview, which is actually a point that you made and what could be a concern is what if it doesn't go okay? Like do there's so much care for the Beamer name around Virginia Tech that I think people are almost a little bit skittish to even take the chance that it doesn't go well. And not that we would sour the relationship or anything along those lines, but just the fear of the unknown of it not going well. I think he's extremely qualified. He's surrounded himself with amazing coaches across the country in a lot of top-notch programs, not to mention, you know, Lincoln Riley, you go back to Georgia, the recruiting that he's done, it's his resume speaks for itself, I think at this point, but I don't think that undoes the fear from some fans that what if, what if it just doesn't just doesn't go well. It's almost easier mm-hmm. to cut bait with somebody that you don't have that much nostalgic tie into if 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 I you know, I'm articulating that the right way. But it can't go any worse than what Fuente has done the last two years. Yeah. It, it, it honestly, it can't unless he were to come in and win like three games a year. Yeah. And um, the problem, the problem, honestly, for Shane would be cleaning up Fuente's mess initially because we're going to be struggling worse than we are now because of where the recruiting has gone. And so... I don't know if don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Like, I don't know if I want to put that evil on Shane Beamer yeah. of like, Oh, you got to dig us out of this terrible hole it, in my head. And something I was toying around with, with my buddies was just like, it might be best for Shane to go to USC, work out the kinks of him being a head coach do well. Cause I do believe that Shane will do well. I, I really do, whether it's at Tech or USC or wherever. I think he's going to do well. Uh, work out the kinks. Do a great job. We hire a coach that kind of does a Buzz Williams. This is best-case scenario, by the way. Kind of does a Buzz Williams, raises our profile back up, builds us back up, and then he leaves for greener pastures, and we bring Shane back in the fold in 2025 or something like that. To me, that is the best-case scenario because I think Shane – if the profile of Virginia Tech is at a decent level, he would still leave USC to come to Tech, yeah. I think, eventually. But I think he wants to prove, and he always has wanted to prove, that he can do it on his own yep. without using his dad's name. And he's gone to South Carolina and Georgia and Oklahoma and made a name for himself and made contacts and has all types of media members backing him. Yep. So... I, uh, I'm impressed with what Shane's been able to do. And I think it in a bigger picture on a longer time frame. which let's face it tech at this point, we're doing, we're in a long play. Like, and I know it's already been a while since we've been good, but unfortunately Fuentes buried us so bad. We still got a long way to go. It could work out for the best for him to do his thing somewhere else and then come home eventually. That's fair. Like I said, I think he will be successful. So it's like, oh, if you think he'll be successful, then why don't we go after him now? One, our job isn't open yet. Yeah. And South Carolina's is. Yeah. We have some hurdles we got to clear first here. And th- that's part of it. And the fact is, it just, 
it doesn't feel quite right. Like they, there's, there's gotta be a little bit more distance in my, to me between Frank and Shane that, but you know, if we hired him tomorrow, I'd still would be all in. So yeah. like, like, let me, let me make that clear. I'm just saying like, I'm trying to think long and hard about this and I'd be interested to, if people have other opinions, you know, tweet at us and, and we can talk about them. Yep. I would agree. All right. That's going to do it for the podcast. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT, 2DeepVT at gmail.com, and then our website, 2DeepVT.com. You can stream every podcast, check out all the beers we've had and the ratings we've given, and you can also check out Robbie's stats page, which is sweet and a huge undertaking considering the season we're having. It's been painful, but it's it's well worth it. I'm hoping that next year we'll... It'll it'll pay off more. I, I try and have all the data there so you can look at it year over year. And until next time, when we are previewing hate week against UVA, go Hokies. <laughs>